This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Welcome to This Week in the Peace, a show dedicated to the people, events, and news of BC's peace region. Here's your hosts, Dub Craig and Jordan Prentice. Good morning and welcome to the show. Today's show features an extended interview with one guest. Now, School District 60 announced last month that they'd be receiving $800,000 over three years for their Feeding Futures program, which works to ensure that students are fed at school stigma-free. To talk about that and major investment and... uh rather to talk about that major investment by the government and a wide variety of other topics impacting the district. It's been a while, but I sat down with School District 60 Superintendent Dr. Stephen Petrucci yesterday. Here's part one of that conversation. It's been a while, and, and thanks for inviting me. Yes, and there is lots to talk about, as you said. It's been a while. So I, I wanted to start with this Feeding Futures Fund, though. This was announced uh, almost yeah. a month ago now, I think. Um, you're set to receive, I believe, $800,000 per year over the next three years for food, staffing, and equipment purchases. Um, tell me, first of yeah. all, just how big of a deal was this for the district? How How excited were you to be getting this? Yeah, we were super excited, Warren, and really around British Columbia. The the project itself was announced last spring, but just for implementation in the current 23-24 uh, school year. Uh, in the past, you might recall, um, we had what was called the Affordability Fund, but it was only really for one year, and it helped with food and some other things. And prior to that, we had a small amount of funding through a program called Community Links, and that really only provided enough funding for a few schools that really are what would we would consider high need schools. Mm -hmm. This new Feeding Futures Fund is really stable and significant funding for the foreseeable future. They, they've announced it for three years, but the reality is, is that it's likely and they're hoping that this would just continue in terms of resources available to school. And, and it is specifically about feeding. And so the vast majority of the $800,000 that School District 60 receives will be used for food, not just in a few schools, but it's going to be made available to all of the schools. Um, of course, you know, those who, who can afford their meals will pay for it, but it now gives the capacity to all our schools um, where we know there are some students that don't necessarily have food with them. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. We just know that when kids have food, if they're hungry, they're going to learn better. They're going to interact better. So, so this announcement and and this ongoing commitment is going to make a huge difference. Okay, so it it's going to help people. It's just going to help kind of the supply, I guess. And and as you said, for people who can afford to buy food, you know, in their school cafeteria or whatever, they can continue to do so. But I suppose for the kids who can't, um, you know, they come from families facing facing financial distress, whatever it happens to be. How does the program kind of work for them? Because I, I believe, of course, it's anonymous. Yeah. No one no one's going to know who yeah. is doing what, really. Tell us a bit about that, how that's going to work kind of on the school side, you know, in each individual school, I suppose. Yeah. Hey, thanks for, for raising that, Warren. And so one of the really important criteria of the fund is that it is uh, stigma-free. 
And so absolutely it is anonymous. The way that they carry out the orders, for example, and then and collect the orders for the meals, whether it's for lunch, whether it's their, their breakfast program. Some some schools have an online process where, where parents uh, click and select. And in all of those cases, there are avenues uh, for, for uh, you know, not, not to have to pay without anyone else knowing about that. And, and so that's actually an important criteria of the fund itself. And so um, it varies from school to school as to what that specific process is. But uh, the great news is, is we also, as part of this fund, have a foods coordinator now for the school district. Her name is uh, Nancy Birchall, and she uh, came on board in November of 2000, just this past fall, 2023. And she's done a terrific job of visiting all of the schools and the canteens. And she actually used to work in the meals program herself a number of years ago. And to your question, part of the work she's doing is is supporting canteens, meal programs across the district to ensure that those processes are good, that they have support around the both the efficiency and the effectiveness of the delivery of these programs in terms of logistics, setting up the canteen, ordering. And so the fund uh, helps, you know, it pays for her salary. Uh, the majority of it goes to food. But we're also allowed to use it to enhance some of the staffing time on the ground in the schools. And this has been a, a game changer for the schools because they were having to find different ways to fund and to pay for people at the canteen to prepare the meals, do the shopping. And so now we have part of this fund used for on the ground staffing. And that has made all the difference. And then the final thing we're allowed to use uh, it for this year, at least, is some minor equipment purchases. So whether it be your your fridges, uh, your stoves, um, heaters, you know, some of those things, we are wanting to get equipment that we know will last. So more of your commercial grade equipment and uh, knowing that this will probably expand. And to be clear, whether the child, uh, you know, comes comes to school without food, it doesn't really matter to us what the reason is, whether they, they weren't able to afford it or whether or not it was a long bus ride and they got there, they'd already eaten their lunch. It doesn't matter. We're going to have the capacity to feed the kids, and that's what's so exciting about this. That's my more specific question to this, Stephen. I mean, you already said how how exactly it's going to be run. It seems to be kind of on a school-side basis, right? But if you're that kid, mm -hmm. you've eaten your lunch, you don't have a lunch, whatever it happens to be, I guess my question is how how can it be stigma-free or – Maybe anonymous isn't really what it'll be, but how could it be stigma-free if you line up at the canteen and you're like, okay, I'd like some food, but I don't have the cash to pay for it today. Is that kind of how it's going to work? Or is it like kind of, you know, as you said, you can order hot foods for a month ahead. Does a parent reach out or whatever and say, you know, I'd like to make sure my kid has food, but, yeah. you know, I can't cover it this month. I guess my question is more along those lines for people listening, even who might be in that situation, who yeah. who are yeah. finding that their kids don't have lunch sometimes. Do you know kind of how that's going to work? Or is there an expectation even from a district level to school saying we need to make sure that kids can have access to this, but that everyone doesn't know that they're accessing it, as you say, stigma free? Yeah. You know, can you speak to that kind of at all? 
Absolutely. And thanks for raising it. I mean, I think we could even do a follow-up of even having one of the school principals on the show and, and talking through some of those specific logistics. But mm-hmm. what I do know is that if anyone's out there listening and, and is wondering about this, would like to, to make use of it more, uh, you know, connect with your school because what the, the schools know their families quite well. They know over time, for example, which students are needing that extra support and they have already a plan in place about them. They're showing up at the counter for lunch. They already know they have the food ready for them and there's going to be no discussion about I can't pay for this at that time. Whether it's done in the logistics prior to or whether it's done through their classroom teacher um, or with the administration, there are several avenues around those logistics to ensure that that conversation is not happening in front of other people. But it's a really important important point that you raise. And um, yeah, there, there are some specifics to that we can, we can happily follow up with. Okay. Well, I'll have to look into that. Um, I guess contingent on the funding, and I don't know if it was contingent on this, but I suppose, Stephen, my next question is, do you know how many students roughly in the district are or were previously accessing sort of, you know, uh, food that they couldn't pay for or whatever the, 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 the situation happens to be? Do you have a notion of how many students this is affecting and will continue to affect now that there's even more funding in place? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's about supporting the students and, uh, you know, without naming uh, specific schools, we, we yes. range from a handful uh, of students in one particular school to up to 150 students a day who would need uh, actually meals uh, at no cost. And it so it really does vary across the district. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of secondary purpose of this fund is, again, regardless of whether the reason as to why they don't have the food, it allows us to expand where uh, any student who just doesn't have food, doesn't matter why, are able to get some. And and it just helps with the learning. So I think there's an expansion element to this that we will see down the road. But part of that is to ensure that we have the right equipment, that we have the right processes that are both efficient and effective in terms of deliveries, in terms of how the meals are being set up. And that's what our food coordinator is helping us with. And so really, this is what we would call a foundational year for the Feeding Futures Fund, where we're trying to figure out a lot of these details that you've raised today, so that uh, ongoing into the future just continues to improve. And you know, Warren, part of that is also just around the quality of the food. And so wherever possible, our coordinator is looking at sourcing that locally, you know, and there's, there's different options there, but moving ahead perhaps with some of those partnerships in the future in a really meaningful way. And, and and also just around the delivery logistics so that we don't have 20 different people doing shopping, you know, for their own canteen. We're looking at ways to coordinate that. And so we're really building up the capacity of this program over time, and it will take some time. All right. I want to move on to talk a bit about SOGI, which, of course, sexual orientation and gender identity. It's a part of the curriculum throughout BC. Um, I think it's called SOGI 123 from the ARC Foundation. Um, this is something that's taught in SD60. It's taught in school districts all over BC. It's been in the news a lot recently. And there was going to be uh, an information session uh, on it that was canceled kind of a month or so ago. Uh, first of all, I wanted to know if you could speak to why the decision was made to cancel that information session. Yeah, sure. First of all, just to your previous comment there, Warren, SOGI123 is not part of the curriculum. It, it's it's a resource uh, that's oh, available okay. to schools to support 
um, what's required around, you know, the human rights legislation around protecting sexual orientation and gender identity. And so um, that's already been in there uh, mm-hmm. as, as per the legislation. But SOGI 123 is, is simply resources that schools can use in terms of addressing those learning outcomes um, around inclusion simply. And, you know, if we just back it up a little bit, this whole topic is really just about making sure everyone feels welcome at school in public mm-hmm. education. And that's really it. Um, in terms of some of the forums that have been organized around town or cancel, I, I, I can't really speak too much to that um, other than I think we both know the word itself has become uh, very politicized. And, yes. and, and so it just doesn't lend itself to any kind of constructive uh, conversation or debate. Um, the good news is that there are some great resources out there, uh, especially through, for example, and I can follow up and send these to you for your listeners. Uh, one is around is from the BCC PAC. And so that's the Confederation of Parent Advisory Councils that on their website have a really clear layout of what it is and what it isn't. You know, what does it mean in schools, at what levels, as well as from the Ministry of Education. And I'll, I'll send you all that. So I, I think, you know, we just need to rely on, on those factual pieces of information. And if anyone has any questions in terms of their own children or any other parts of their education programming, really connect with your school. And, and there you'll get the clearest understanding of what is happening rather than jumping to conclusions or making assumptions. And so we're just really approaching this as we have for years around everyone is welcome in schools. And that's what we're here for. Okay. Now, I mean, speaking of diversity and inclusivity, I mean, Black History Month is just wrapping up. Um, that's been a kind of a major deal for the uh, school district. Um, that and, and, and again, talking about sexual orientation and gender identity. Why are these topics so important to the district and just education in general? Yeah, well, you, you nailed it there, Warren. You know, it, it, public education means that it's for everyone. And, uh, you know, I, I was recently at a couple of fantastic assemblies, um, uh, one at Robert Ogilvy Elementary School, the other at Dr. Kearney uh, Middle School. And, and you know, to your point, it, it's about celebrating some of this diversity. And those assemblies were absolutely phenomenal. I probably should have sent you an invite. My apologies for that. But uh, <laughs> Uh, the, for example, the one at Kearney, um, we had a number of our students who, who, who are black and who gave presentations. There was music. Um, it was joyful. Uh, we even had some speakers from the community and them talking about their experience in Fort St. John. And I think you'll agree, uh, the community itself has really changed over time. And, and there, there's a lot of diversity around there. We see that as a strength. Uh, whether you're talking about uh, Black History Month, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, supporting our Indigenous students and also lo- learning local history of, of, of our Indigenous First Nations. Um, all of that just lends itself to a rich educational experience for everyone. And and so I'm glad you, you raised that. And we continue. I think yesterday was um, Anti-Bullying Day. And so for, for whoever you are and whatever, you know, the student brings to the school, we need to make sure that they feel safe, that they feel they belong, you know, and that's part of the inclusion piece and that they're able to learn. I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen Petrucci, the school district 60 superintendent. I'll have part two of that conversation in just a few moments on This Week in the Peace. Welcome back to This Week in the Peace. I'm Dub Craig. Today I'm sitting down with Dr. Stephen Petrucci, the superintendent of school district 60. I was able to have an extended chat with him yesterday. Here's part two of that conversation. 
Uh, we talked about that major funding announcement for the Fe Feeding Futures Fund, but I also wanted to talk about um, some upgrades and, and some funding that's been uh, doled out uh, for some help at schools in School District 60. Uh, for example, the new gym at Upper Halfway Elementary and upgrades to 101 Elementary. Uh, these projects, very important to kind of the rural students who all go to those schools. Tell us a bit about you know, that and, and how important it is to those students that they have these these upgrades. And, and in the case of uh, yeah. Upper Halfway, the new gym. Yeah, the, it, it's the new gym is spectacular. It's a really big size, good sized middle school gym there, uh, Warren. And, uh, and and as you point out in the rural areas, it's actually part of the community and, and the community is going to make use of that. And it's very important. The school itself did not have any kind of recreation space. There was no gym at Upper Halfway oh. previously, and they had to kind of walk walk a ways to get to what you might call a bit of a community center, but it was really very small. Mm -hmm. And so so not only is it new, it's a first out there in the uh, Upper Halfway and in the Halfway School community. Uh, so we're very excited about that. And it'll have, it has a sort of kitchen facility attached and part of it so that community events can happen there. We've got, you know, the tables and chairs there. The PRRD has been supportive in terms of some uh, help there too. And so we're really excited about what that'll mean, not only for the students who really uh, weren't able to do any kind of gym activities in the past, as well as excited for the community to, ha to have use of this facility. And uh, and so I think that'll be fantastic. It's, it's open now, it's being used, and uh, we're just in the process of equipping it with everything that it needs to be a fully operational gym. And uh, 101 is even more than just some upgrades. It's it's going to be a brand new school, oh, okay. uh, which which is is fantastic. Yeah. And now the only difference there, Warren, is that uh, we're main keeping the gym portion only, so that mm -hmm. the gym will be maintained, and then the new school will be built on the other side of it. So the old school will eventually be destroyed because it's 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 seen its uh, best days probably a while ago now. Um, and we're excited about the potential there, a very supportive community in 101. Um, you know, we've seen our enrollment increase there over time. We've really committed to that community to try and offer programming from kindergarten to grade nine now. In some cases, grade 10, they're doing some online things there, which is very creative uh, for a middle school program. So all of this is pointing to uh, what we hope is some robust in a community that we know has lots of students in that area. And, and we'd like to continue to see that grow. Uh, they will see a new school on par with some of the designs and the features and the quality that we've seen around BC and in Fort St. John as well. And so this will, this will be a very exciting project. Now, I can't ask about uh, upgrades and, and new kind of buildings and whatnot without talking a bit about Fort St. John. I mean, we all know, we've heard the capacity sort of, you know, the, it seems like mm -hmm. it's time for some new things in Fort St. John. Just in general, where where are we kind of in, in that regard? I think uh, and it's been a while, but I was reading about how this is sort of in a strategic plan to sort of keep advocating or planning for it. But even like a new high school or expansion to the high school, for example, where kind of are we in that process? I guess in if it's kind of one of the things you do in convincing the ministry that we need more space for students in Fort St. John. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd have to start by giving some some credit to the ministry as far as, you know, within the last uh, five, six years, we've seen two big new elementary schools uh, built in Fort St. John. That is really taking care of any capacity or, or uh, issues we have around the mm-hmm. elementary level for sure, as well as you mentioned, the upper halfway gym and now the new 101 school that will be built within uh, two years. So, so there has been some attention here. Um, it's interesting, Warren, I don't know if you will recall, I mean, you know, six, seven years ago, everyone was projecting our population to just, you know, spike. Mm-hmm. We've really not seen that. We, we've actually seen our demographics uh, stabilize in terms of student enrollment and population and even within the community. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that these early days predict projections of a massive increase in population in Fort St. John have simply not been realized. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I'm glad you asked the question because some, some of it is, is uh, are, are myths in a sense where our priority right now in our capital plan, the board's capital plan, is for addition additions to Dr. Kearney and Burt Bowes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see our best value and need is to add more common space and some classrooms to each of those facilities. Um, you know, North Peace uh, are able to manage the population they have right now. It, it does ebb and flow depending on the size of the cohort that comes in each year in grade 10 versus the number of grade 12s that leave, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure if you recall, when I first started teaching at North Peace in uh, 95, it was on a flex system where they were running five blocks a day instead of four. And that was before they added on the addition. And so, in other words, you're able to uh, you're able to add a different kind of scheduling process to free up different classrooms as well. And that could be something that we look at in the future. Right now, they have a common lunch, and it's great. They did have the addition a few years ago, as well as the grade 10s at the Energetic Learning Campus down at the Pomeroy Sports Centre. So we're actually confident. We could always use more space, don't get me wrong. Things for like programming, offices, counselors, and those kinds of things. But in terms of running the schedule, where we see the priority more around those additions to Burt Bowes and Dr. Kearney than we do around adding space at the high school because we are able to manage that programming. Okay, and then one final question for you, Dr. Petrucci. I wanted to give you a moment to talk a bit about the strong showing we had in School District 60 at the the Skills Canada regional uh, sort of showcase that happened recently. I saw a lot of North Peace Secondary yeah. School and, uh, and other schools from School District 60. Um, what does it mean to you to see so many students who did such excellent work as, as part of that? Yeah. Well, it was it was just such a standout competition. And to be fair, each year there's there's really good representation from our area. I have to give credit to our district principal for careers and, and who also supports ADST, and that's Brian Campbell. And uh, he's been supporting schools and working with them for years now to both ensure they have some capacity at the school level in terms of the tools and the programming, and also then supporting them in, in, in getting to these types of competitions. So So that's really borne fruit. And, you know, uh, it's interesting, even in, in locations you may not think of, like Presbyterian School, which is now out of town, they've consistently had some very competitive robot, robotics uh, clubs that have competed in these regional skills competition, as well as one at the high school. So to see some of those bridge builders take gold, for example, at the elementary level, as well as our robotics teams doing extremely well, all the way to our uh, hair stylists, um, it really does speak, I think, to 
kind of the the uh, ethos of the region, which is there are so many different ways to express your talents, and it's not just you know academically, and 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 so to see that skill development and those competitions bear fruit I, I, is very rewarding. Thanks to you know a lot of staff who work on it. The other exciting piece that's come through recently, Warren, is that uh, you know our grad rates have been very strong, and, and so so um, they just came out from last spring. And at the district here for all students, we're at 84%, which is as high as they've ever been um, for, our, for our district. And, and also what's very exciting is our Indigenous student grad rate has jumped up to 79% from, from 60% the previous year. So, you know, uh, and, and so that gap between all of our students and the success of our Indigenous students is narrowing, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And we're just hoping that momentum can, can continue. So lots of reasons to celebrate doesn't mean we don't have our challenges. You know, we, we still struggle with some of our transitions into middle school. Some of our numeracy results are not that great. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, but just the whole staffing issue, uh, whether it's teachers, EAs, bus drivers, uh, senior staff, uh, that, that continues to be a challenge and, and can compromise uh, sometimes the delivery of, of good programming. All right. Well, Dr. Petrucci, we're going to have to leave it there. I really appreciate you taking your time to chat with me today. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Stephen Petrucci, the School District 60 Superintendent. I want to thank him for making some time to chat with us today on This Week in the Peace. Now, if you're just tuning in and you missed the show, you'll be able to check it out again, the podcast version of it, at energeticcity.ca slash podcast. We'll store this in future episodes and the previous episodes as well over there as we make them. You can also check out our other locally produced podcasts there, Before the Peace and Secrets of the North. That's our show for this week. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.